Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, to the book of Genesis chapter 50 today. We begin a new series, Life Lessons from Unlikely Heroes. We're going to look at four biblical characters, one from a dysfunctional family, another very poor, one very impulsive, and one um, ultimately just a business person, how God used these unlikely people to impact lives. We're going to begin with today a lesson from Joseph, a lesson in perspective Then we'll look at the life of Ruth, a lesson in loyalty. Then we'll look at Peter, a lesson in forgiveness. And then ultimately Lydia, a lesson in availability. But I want to start with Joseph, this unlikely hero, as we learn a lesson in perspective. If you would just look at this one verse in Genesis chapter 50, I believe this verse sums up Joseph's perspective. After going through difficulty that we'll look at in detail in a moment, he says this, You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Joseph is is saying, though others had tried to do wrong to him, though others had planned evil against him, God used it for his own glory to bring good about. That's Joseph's perspective. So let's look at his life, a life full of problems. That's just what I'm calling his life today. Joseph, a life of problems. We're going to look at four areas of his life that would uh, give us uh, that that uh, judgment. First of all, he had a dysfunctional family life. If you're taking notes, a dysfunctional family life. You thought that was a new term. Well, it's a new term, but there were biblical examples of that kind of a, a lifestyle. A dysfunctional family life. Look at chapter 37. Turn back there to that passage. Genesis chapter 37, verse 2, describing Joseph's family. The, these are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with his sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report about them to their father. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age, and he made a robe of many colors for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Just stop right there. You thought you had a rough family bringing. You thought your life was difficult. Joseph is brought up in this family. First of all, if you go back and read the story of Jacob, his name means the deceiver. He was always getting into trouble, difficulties, trying to manipulate others. And now his family, as he has these sons, these other uh, Ten, ten sons, and then Benjamin and, and, and Joseph, the twelve, which became the twelve tribes of Israel. He, he has this dysfunctional family life. The Bible says that Jacob, Israel, loved Joseph, in verse 3, more than the other sons. The Bible says that he was bringing a bad report about his brothers. The Bible says that his father loved him more than, than the other brothers. It was obvious. And if, you, if it wasn't obvious, it's made clear by the fact that it says he made a robe of many colors for him. 
Here's what Jacob does. Jacob singles out Joseph as the, the son that he cherishes, born in his old age, born to the one he loved, and, and, and not these other sons were, were born to other wives. So he has, he has Joseph, and he says of Joseph, I'm not only going to tell you that I love you, I'm going to give you this robe of many colors, this coat of many colors. And that sends a message, intended or not, to the rest of the family that Joseph is special. The Bible says when they saw this, when the brothers in verse 4 recognized that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Joseph started with a life of problems, dysfunctional family. Now, your family may be similar, and maybe, may, maybe you grew up with uh, more difficulty or less difficulty. It doesn't matter. We all end up in those families where things are not perfect. Joseph's family, definite was not. This was a recipe for disaster in the life of Joseph. If you would just look at it from man's perspective, brothers who won't speak to each other, brothers who actually uh, make it clear that they hate him and they won't talk to him. Sometimes we in the church have a way of pretending like everything's all right. Did you know we do that? Like everything's fine. We come on Sunday morning, we look out and we say, everybody looks like everything's fine in their family. It usually isn't. I like the statement, the church is a spiritual hospital. It's not for perfect people. There's even a church in Corpus Christi with a big sign on it. It says, no perfect people allowed. Uh, We all have problems. We all have stuff. We all have junk. Joseph really did. I remember one family in a church where I pastored the father of the family passed away, had a heart attack. And the mother, who was a grandma, told the rest of the family, we are not allowed to cry about grandpa passing away. Not at the funeral, not any other time. They were not, they were not allowed to express emotion because in her mind, that meant that they weren't spiritual. Now, that's not right. That's not accurate. But that whole family grew up with this sense that, that we're supposed to pretend that everything's all right on the outside. That's pretty dysfunctional, isn't it? Can you relate? Joseph started with that dysfunctional family life. But the second whammy against Joseph that d- demonstrates his life of problems, he was dumped and forgotten. Dumped and forgotten. Look at verse 12 in the same chapter, 37. Joseph's, uh, his brothers had gone to pasture their father's flocks near Shechem, at Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, your brothers, you know, are pasturing the flocks at Shechem. Get ready, I'm sending you to them. I'm ready, Joseph replied. Then Israel said to him, go and see how your brothers and the flocks are doing and bring word back to me. So he sent him to the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now, I don't know Jacob, Jacob's motives here, but it sounds to me like he's sending Joseph to check up on his brothers to bring back, you know, the nana. You know, that, that little, here's what they're not doing right, Dad. You were right to send me out there, blah, blah, blah. Jacob's setting him up for, for a fall. Look, look down at verse 18 with me. It's clear. They saw him at the distance, and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. They said to one another, here comes that dreamer. Now, Joseph had already told them that he had interpreted dreams, and in one of those dreams, he was gonna, everybody was going to bow down to him, so they resented that big time. But they call him the dreamer. Here comes that dreamer. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. We'll fix him. We'll fix him for saying that God gave him these dreams. We'll, we'll just throw him in the pit and say a wild animal ate him. They dumped him. Verse 21, when Reuben heard this, he tried to save him from them. And he said, let's not take his life. Reuben also said to them, don't shed blood. Throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Intending to rescue him from their hands and return him to his father. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off his robe, the robe of colors that he had on him. Kind of reminded us there, right? 
Then they took him and threw him in the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. They sat down to eat a meal, and they looked up, and there was a caravan of Israelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying aromatic gum, balsam, resin, and going down to Egypt, a spice caravan. Then Judah said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And they agreed. There's a little bit of reason with some of them. When the Midianite traders passed by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites. And took Joseph, who took Joseph to Egypt. Joseph is dumped in the pit, then he's taken out and he's sold and he's forgotten in Egypt. The Bible goes on to record how they took his coat and they tore it up and they killed an animal and put the animal's blood on the coat and took it back to their father Jacob and said, look, a wild animal must have killed him. But they forgot him. They said, we're done with him. We're washing our hands of Joseph. Dumped and forgotten. I believe God has Joseph's attention, don't you? C.S. Lewis, when he talked about God's megaphone, said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pain. I think God is shouting to Joseph. I think God is letting Joseph know, I've got this. I'm with you. And we'll see as the story unfolds, that is the case. A dysfunctional family, dumped and forgotten. Thirdly, he's disgraced by false accusations. Disgraced by false accusations. Joseph ends up in Egypt. He comes to a a place in slavery to to manage a household of an Egyptian wealthy man and a man of prominence. And let's pick up the story in chapter 39 now. Verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guard brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. Let me just stop right there. There's a a phrase that is repeated throughout the book of Genesis from chapter 39 all the way to chapter 50. The Lord was with Joseph. Now as you read the story, thrown in the pit, hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, taken away to a far off country. It doesn't sound like the Lord is with Joseph, but the Bible reminds us through all of that, the Lord is with Joseph. And he brings him success. Look at verse 7 in that same chapter, 39. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph and said, Sleep with me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, With me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house. And he's put all that he owns under my authority. Joseph has the right understanding here. He's been made a steward, a manager of Potiphar's household there. Let's move on to verse 11. Now one day, when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the household servants were there, she grabbed him by his garment and said, Sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment with her, and ran out, he ran out, and had run outside. She called the household servants. Look, she said to them, my husband brought a Hebrew man to make fools of us. He came to me so he could sleep with me, and I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment with me and ran outside. It's all a lie, isn't it? It's all a lie. She put Joseph's garment beside her and the, when his, until his master came home, and she told him the same story. 
The Hebrew slave you brought to us came to make a fool of me. But when I screamed for help, he left his garment with me and ran outside. When his master heard the story, of his, his wife told him, These are the things your slave did to me. He was furious and had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. Joseph has been disgraced by false accusations. Potiphar's wife is offended that he didn't respond to her advances, so she makes up this story and accuses him of attempted rape. And he's disgraced by it so much that when the husband comes home, when Potiphar comes home, he's thrown into prison. Folks, you can be as true and as faithful and as steadfast as you want. There are going to be people who are going to make up accusations. That's what happened to Joseph. I was thinking, praying through this passage this week about at one time, in one church I pastored, uh, led a lady to Christ, uh, led her husband in a renewed walk with the Lord. They begin to grow. In, in, a, in a moment in the office, she overheard a conversation about a, a business situation at the church, and she just heard my end of the conversation, and she made some assumptions about it. And she went to her husband, and they began this big campaign to discredit me because of what they heard one side of a phone conversation. I didn't figure that out till quite a while later that I was able to trace it back to that moment. But I thought, Lord, here I'm trying to do the right thing, and somebody's made something up about me. That's where Joseph was, disgraced by false accusations. But the Lord was with Joseph. The fourth list of problems. Aren't you glad I just stopped at four? Could have made a longer list. You feel sorry for this guy, don't you? Disappointed by circumstances. Disappointed by circumstances. Look at chapter 40, verse 1. Joseph's in prison, all right? After this, the Egyptian king's cupbearer and baker offended their master, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned Joseph to them, and he became their personal attendant, and they were in custody for some time. In prison even, Joseph is given this responsibility, this stewardship over these two in Pharaoh's court, these two servants to Pharaoh. They have dreams, and they begin to share those dreams with Joseph, and he interprets their dreams for them. And he knows that they're going to be released. Look at verse 14. And he says to them about how they're going to be restored. At least the the cupbearer is going to be restored. When all goes well for you, remember that I was with you. Please show kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. He was only human, wasn't he? Mention me to Pharaoh. Get me out of this prison. For I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing that that, that they should put me in the dungeon. So two years go by. Look at verse 23. Yet the cupbearer, chief cupbearer, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Now, you talk about wave after wave after wave of circumstance coming against you. Every time it seems like Joseph it takes one step forward, it seems he gets slapped right back down again. There he is once again in prison. Don't forget me. And he is completely forgotten. I love what Tim Keller says. It sounds a little bit pessimistic at first, but listen to these words. No matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be wealthy, healthy, comfortable with friends and family, and successful in our career, 
something will inevitably ruin it. Could Joseph say that? No matter how hard I try to be the right one, the right son, the right person, the right steward, the right servant, it seems like something's going to ruin it. Joseph had a life of problems. But God's at work. And that's what I want us to talk about. Number two, a lesson in perspective. A lesson in perspective. Have you ever seen the back of a needlepoint cross-stitch? They're those things that are, it's fabric that are framed, and they're just a beautiful picture of a bird or a flower or a landscape or a tree, whatever. And it's beautiful on one side, and you flip it over and look on the other side. What does it look like? It's a mess. Frayed, knots, all kinds of stuff. It doesn't make sense at all. That's where Joseph is. To, to, for us to look at his life right now and stop right there, even though the Bible said the Lord is with Joseph, to stop right there, we would think it's this messed up, matted conglomeration of whatever, but God's up to something on the other side. And, and let's look at this lesson in perspective that we can learn from Joseph. Look at chapter 41, verse 14. The chief cupbearer ultimately remembers that Joseph's in prison because Pharaoh has dreams. He says, I know someone in prison who can interpret those dreams. Verse 14, then Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and they quickly brought him from the dungeon. He shaved, changed his clothes, and went to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said about you that you can hear a dream and interpret it. That's because the chief cupbearer testified to that. Look at verse 16. I am not able. I am not able to, Joseph answered. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Not only how long he paused before he said that last part, I am not able to, Pharaoh probably got pretty upset. But he says, but God is the one who's going to give a favorable answer. Skip down to verse 28. It is just as I told Pharaoh, and he interprets these dreams for Pharaoh. This is the interpretation. God has shown Pharaoh that he is all, all he's about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming through the land of Egypt. After them, seven years of famine will take place, and all the abundance in the land of Egypt will be forgotten. That's a pretty bad famine, isn't it? To forget seven years of abundance. The famine will devastate the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because of the famine that follows, for the famine will be very severe. Since the dream was given twice to Pharaoh, once with some grain and once with some cows, it means that the matter has been determined by God, and he will carry it out soon. So now, Pharaoh, let now, so now, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Here's what, here's what Joseph is doing. He's expressing his gifts and his talents for God's glory. If we're going to have the perspective Joseph had, we need to express our gifts and our talents for God's glory. He managed Potiphar's household. He gained favor in the prison with the warden there. He interprets Pharaoh's dreams and ultimately here, he's going to be used to organize uh, the, the country to deal with the famine. Joseph is using his God-given gifts and abilities for God's glory in the midst of the junk. I shared in the 830 service personally my, my own uh, response when circumstances are bad. Sometimes the last thing I'm thinking about is doing something great for the glory of God. It's like, why me, Lord? What now? Why didn't this work out? What are you up to? Always questioning. But God says, trust me. Use your gifts and talents. Have you ever found that, that when things are not going well and you become critical and you become complaining and, and even judgmental, that if you'll just get actively serving someone, 
That if you'll just get involved in using the God-given gifts God has given you, all that stuff seems to pale in significance because you're actively using your gifts for the glory of God. I am so glad that Joseph didn't sit in prison and say, he, he forgot, the cupbearer forgot me for two years. I'm not getting out. I'm not interpreting anybody's dreams. I'll show him. But he didn't. He recognized God had given him this gift of interpreting dreams. And he said, I'll be available. I'll go to Pharaoh. I'll be used. In Psalm 119.71, the psalmist says this, It was good for me that I was afflicted so that I could learn your decrees. Here's what the psalmist said. It's good for me that I go through all of this difficulty, that I'm afflicted, that I go through this junk, because in the midst of that, I'm going to learn more about God and his word. Joseph said, it's good for me, in essence, that I was afflicted because now God's using my gifts and talents for his glory and his glory alone. He says it. I'm not going to interpret the dream. God will. Secondly, not just expressing our gifts and talents for God's glory, but we need to be embracing God's plan. Embracing God's plan. Back in chapter 41, verse 16, it is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. It is not me. I am not the one who's going to fix this problem. I am not the one who's going to give the wisdom in a sermon. It is God who's going to interpret the dream. God has used me. God has placed me here. And I'm going to just embrace his plan and his purpose for me. Someone said years ago, and I wrote it down, when you cannot trace the results, trust the Redeemer. When you can't see what God's up to, just trust God because he sees the big picture. Joseph embraced God's plan. I'll be a part of this whole thing. Pharaoh, this is what's going to happen. He unfolds it in chapter 41 there. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, the Russian author who was arrested by the Soviets, placed in a Soviet prison for eight years, wrote these words about prison. He said, it was only when I lay there on, rot, on a rotting prison straw that I, that, that I sensed within myself the first stirrings of good. So bless you, prison, for having been in my life. Could you say that? I think Joseph could say that. God bless you for having me be sold into slavery because of what you're going to do with me. Bless you for having me put in prison. God, I, I bless you for those circumstances. I'm going I'm to embrace your plan instead of running from it. Years ago, Kelly and I went to South Potter Island, and we, I decided to do some firsts while I was down there. I did a first backflip I'd ever done off a diving board. That was big for me. I uh, did a first. I'm going to learn to sail. Well, we thought we would rent a sailboat, but the guy said, okay, it costs this much to rent the sailboat. Have you ever sailed before? I said, no. But I think it looks pretty easy, a little well, a starfish or sunfish or something, a little bitty boat. And he said, okay, you have to take sailing lessons before I rent this boat to you. So we agreed, paid the money, and the guy took us out there. And we're out there sailing in the intercoastal waterway. And I, I learned that, that sometimes you have to sail into the wind. And he showed me how to do that. You, you attack the wind. Is it called tacking or attacking? Tacking into the wind. And so that's what he said. He said to get from this point to that point, when you turn around, you're going to have to go into the wind. I said, can I just go that way and go with the wind? It's easier, isn't it? When circumstances come into my life, you know what I want to do? I just want to go with the wind. Just God, just let it go, and I want to do my own thing. But God says, I think through Joseph's life, sometimes you have to turn into the wind, and you have to embrace what God's doing. You have to embrace the challenge, embrace the, the 
opposition, embrace the the difficulty, embrace whatever is coming your way, because that's how you get to the next point. Embrace it. Number three, the third thing, we need to be experiencing God's faithfulness. When we express our giftedness, when we embrace God's plan, we will experience the faithfulness of God. Look at chapter 41, verse 39. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one as intelligent and as wise as you are. Will you be over my house? And all my people will obey your commands. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, See, I'm placing you over the land of Egypt. Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, clothed him with fine linen garments, and placed a gold chain around his neck. As I read this this morning, I was thinking about how this story is so familiar to many of us. And we just kind of go, yeah, Joseph, brother, sold a slave, gone to Egypt, Potiphar's house, blah, blah, he's in, he's, and there, there he is, in, he's Pharaoh's commander, whatever. But I was just looking at this, verse 41 again. I am placing you over the land of Egypt. Wow. What an incredible opportunity. What an incredible change from being this hated brother sold into slavery, thrown in prison, to be in command of Egypt. And for Pharaoh to give him his signet ring, that, that, that he gets to stamp things with the authority of Pharaoh. Isn't God good? Now, if this had been Joseph's business plan, here's what I'm going to do when I'm a little boy. I think when I grow up, I want to be in charge of all of Egypt. So here's what I'm going to do. Here's my business plan. I'm going I'm to find a way, first of all, to get from Canaan to, to Egypt. Then when I get to Egypt, I'm going to find a way to maybe work my way into somebody with some authority, with some rank. And then I'll get in his household, and then I'll be given some managerial roles, and then they'll recognize me. And ultimately, maybe I'll be able to get into Pharaoh's court, and, and then I'll be the, I'll be, someday I can be second in command in Egypt. If that had been his business plan and it had worked, you know what everybody would have said? Way to go, Joseph. Just like Pharaoh did. Nobody's wiser or more intelligent than you are. It would have been all about Joseph, but it didn't work that way, did it? What was God's plan? Just to knock him down. To knock him down. To have him dumped and forgotten and disgraced and disappointed. But in the midst of that, he experienced the faithfulness of God. Look at the the gap from where he was to the authority that he's been given by Pharaoh himself. He experiences God's faithfulness. Fine linen garments, a gold chain around his neck, the signet ring of Pharaoh. God is faithful. Remember that phrase, the Lord was with Joseph? The Lord was with Joseph. He's faithful. And Joseph gets to experience that. It doesn't get much better than that. I guess you could say it could only get much better than that if he was Pharaoh, right? It doesn't get much better than that to be probably the second most powerful man in that part of the known world at the time. God's faithfulness. He's faithful. I love that we've been singing about that. When Kelly and I were at Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, 
she had Carissa, and we decided she could, we wanted her to stay home with the baby, so we had this little bitty rent house in an in a interesting part of town. And uh, needless to say, it was interesting. But uh, decided that I would try to work and go to school, so I went to school full-time and, and started mowing lawns and had a lawn mowing business, landscape maintenance business. And um, it was a great business during the summer because everybody in Fort Worth wants their grass mowed in the summertime. You know what happens when the winter hits up there? The grass stops growing. And when, you, when your income is mowing grass and the grass isn't growing, things get pretty lean. And I can remember through that time, God kept taking us back to that verse that the psalmist said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. It's in Psalm 37. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their children begging for bread. And I can remember both of us praying, God, your word says you're not going to forsake us. And our little girl is not going to be begging. You're going to care for us. And God was faithful to see us through those days. And there have been other lean years and other lean times since then. And God has always been faithful. Listen, you have to be without to really know how God can be your provider, right? Someone said, you don't know how, how much Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you've got. You don't know how much you need to trust him until you absolutely have to trust him. And God comes through and, and you get to experience his faithfulness. And lastly, another good word, we get to enjoy God's blessings. Enjoying God's blessings. Look at verse 1 of chapter 42. By the way, the famine hits. They have the years of plenty, and Joseph stores up the grain in all these warehouses around Egypt. And he's in charge of distributing that grain, and the famine comes. Verse verse 1 of chapter 42. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you keep looking at each other? He wasn't too nice to his other sons, was he? Listen, he went on, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we will live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy some grain from Egypt. Go with me to chapter 45. You can read the in-between part. But the brothers go for grain. Joseph, they can't recognize him because he looks like an Egyptian now. It's been years. He sends them away with grain, but he puts their money back in their knapsacks. They get home and discover that the money's been returned, and they wait. Finally, Jacob sends them back, and he goes back because Joseph has said, I want your younger brother Benjamin here. They don't know that he knows who Benjamin is. And, and he goes back, and there's another period where Joseph is really testing his brothers again, and they're scared because they don't know what's going to go on, what's going to happen. They still don't know who Joseph is, but look at chapter 45. Ultimately, Joseph is dealing with them. Then Joseph said to his brothers, he reveals his identity to them. Please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother. Stop right there. These guys have no idea what happened to Joseph. They begin to piece some things together and think maybe this is God's judgment on them since they did that to Joseph, but they have no idea that this man is Joseph. He says to them, Stop. Come here. I'm your brother, Joseph. How'd you like to try to process that? Oh, Joseph's alive. Oh, wait, Joseph's alive. Oh, you're going to take care of us. Uh Uh-oh, you're the one that we tried to kill and sold into slavery and all these things going. It's it's interesting that that Joseph reminds him of that. I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold in Egypt. Isn't that great? The one you sold in Egypt. He's reminding them, uh, I'm your brother and you sold me into slavery, as if they didn't remember that. But look what he says. Now don't be worried or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve my life. 
for the famine has been in the land these two years and there have been five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to, give, and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, a ruler over all the land of Egypt. Look with me at chapter 47. Verse 5 and 6. There's so much more good stuff in this story. Read it when you get home. Chapter 47, verse 5. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, by the way, they get Jacob and the rest of the household and they come to Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, now that your father and brothers have come to you, the land of Egypt is open before you. Settle your father and brothers in the best part of the land. Not the back 40, not the desert, not the wilderness, the best part of the land. They can live in the land of Goshen. If any know of any capable men among them, if you know of any capable men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Here's the best land, the most fertile land. Give it to your family, Joseph. Let them settle there. And that's exactly what happened. And they grew to be the people of God. God is preserving a remnant. You go back and look at the story to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that God's going to bless the world through this people, this great nation of Israel. And that's where they planted and that's where they grew to become this great nation. And they enjoyed the blessing of God. God provided everything, got them through the famine. And they would not have gotten through the famine if Joseph hadn't been there to rescue that part of the world at the time. And they rested in the blessing of God. That's, that's God's perspective, isn't it? That was Joseph's. Let's go back to the very verse we started with. Now that you know all the details of the story, this is what Joseph says. You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Isn't God good? Christian Rager a German believer, a follower of Christ, was turned over to the Nazis by the church organist, by the way. He was in prison in Dachau concentration camp for five years. And he said this, some have said that a man can undergo tor torture if he knows the why of his life. But I here in Dachau learned something far greater. I learned the who of my life. That seemed enough to sustain me then and it's enough to sustain me now. Folks, it's not just enough to know the why. You need to know the who. The Lord was with Joseph. You want to get through this life? It's not going to be easy. God promises to be with us. I thank him for that. Let's pray together.